This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have an outstanding show today, a lot to review, obviously, with all the turmoil and uh, problems going on, obviously, in Palestine right now, including ongoing arrests, land theft, murders, raids on villages and towns throughout Palestine. So there's a lot to cover. One of the interesting big stories we're going to cover is that uh, Israeli minister Smotrich, who is calling for the ethnic cleansing and destruction of Hawara, Uh, one of the villages where Palestinians were killed, basically calling for it to be wiped off the map. And there's uh, some rumors that the United States uh, State Department might be not willing to give him a visa. But that story becomes very interesting, Jamal. We're going to do a deep dive into that. Speaking of uh, Israelis calling for the wiping off the map of Hawara, the Palestinian village, we have the legendary greatest spy in the history of spycraft in the United States, the the kind of notorious Jonathan Pollard, who was convicted of being a traitor, put in jail, was going to be locked up for the rest of his life, was released uh, by Donald Trump back to the apartheid state, as celebrated as a hero, an Amer- former American citizen, I don't know if he still has American citizenship, but he's an Israeli citizen, also calling for the wiping off the map of uh, Palestinians and the Hawara uh, village. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Chuck Schumer, who is the um, basically the head of the uh, Senate for the majority right now, embracing, literally and figuratively embracing Netanyahu and Modi both of whom are very fond of ethnic cleansing and uh, theocratic kind of uh, thuggery. But before we get into those stories, you did a really great uh, interview with Orly Noy, who is an Israeli political activist and journalist and editor of the web-based magazine 972. Uh, she's also the chair and the executive director of Bet Salem. Um, she's going to be talking about the kind of uh, fascist calls for the ethnic cleansing of Hawara, what's going on in the Israeli political system right now, if you can call it that. But it's a, it's a really well-done interview. Let's... Uh, Let's hear more about what uh, Orly has to say. On February 26, hundreds of Israeli settlers streamed into the Palestinian village of Hawara, setting homes and cars ablaze and attacking villagers trying to leave their homes to escape to safety with clubs and large rocks. They killed one Palestinian and wounded dozens of others. Israeli soldiers facilitated the pogrom by shutting down the two entrances to the village in anticipation of the settlers' arrival. Attempts by Palestinians to defend themselves in this situation face cover fire Israeli soldiers give to settlers. Multiple pictures and videos show settlers giving soldiers refreshments and conversing with them throughout the pogrom. In her recent article in 972, the pogrom is the point. Orly Noy explains that when Israeli officials, most notably Netanyahu, call on settlers not to take the law into their own hands against Palestinians, they are not denouncing uh, pogroms. They are actually saying, let the army do the job for you. Joining us on Arab Talk this week is Orly Noy. She's a political activist and a journalist and editor on the web-based magazine 972. She is the chair of the executive board of Bet Salem, 
a prominent Israeli information center for human rights in the occupied territories. Orly, uh, welcome to Arab Talk. And hi, you know, thank you so much for having me. Although the pogrom in Hawara was exceptionally horrific and tragic, you explained that it is really the culmination of years of attacks by settler soldier militias collaborating in murdering and terrorizing Palestinian communities across the occupied West Bank. Talk about this. Yes, violence against Palestinians in the occupied territories is nothing exceptional. It's been carrying out for years, both by settlers and, of course, by soldiers. And as horrifying as the pogrom in the Hawara was, it was not the worst that uh, we had seen uh, in the occupied territories. Of course, we can uh, mention uh, the uh, setting fire to the entire the Wapshen family, uh, kidnapping and murdering um, uh, a, a young boy in East uh, Jerusalem. So the the, the, the and um, um, I was slightly more moderate. Let's call it the acts of violence and terrorism against Palestinians are really being carried out on daily basis throughout the the West Bank. And this, as far as the Israeli public, the Israeli media and the Israeli politics is concern, are concerned, is almost sort of a force of nature. This is just the nature of things that Palestinians are being routinely under attack. The Israeli media rarely reports about it unless it is something as horrifying as the program in, in uh, Hawara. And if this is being reported, then usually it's also being justified by the Israeli public, uh, justifying it uh, almost always uh, through a discourse of security that uh, if, for example, we can mention uh, the, the deadly Israeli army's raids into uh, Nablus and Jenin, leaving uh, uh, more than 20 Palestinian casualties, among which a 73-year-old Palestinian man, uh, a woman in her 60s, a Palestinian child. That in the Israeli discourse, these are being seen as uh, part of uh, maintaining Israelis Israel's security, and that's why I I commented on that, that when Netanyahu says, don't take the law into your own hand, what he's actually saying that violence against Palestinians is the law. It's just, it just shouldn't be carried out by you, but by the official uh, mechanism of the apartheid and occupation, mainly the Israeli army. We should mention that Hawara is in Area B. Uh, can you talk about security force authority agreements uh, relative to different uh, sections of Israel as uh, spelled out by the Oslo Accords, which are, uh, which are still followed? Which are still followed only as, as far as they uh, are benefiting Israel. I mean, as far as the Palestinian rights as uh, were, as are mentioned in uh, the Oslo agreements, none of it is being respected. But the Oslo agreement, which was supposed to be a temporary thing leading 
to uh, the establishment of a Palestinian state, divided the West Bank into three categories, uh, areas A, B, and C. Area uh, Areas A, which are the main Palestinian cities like Ramallah, like Nablus, uh, like Jenin, uh, uh, are supposed to be under full Palestinian uh, control, both uh, civic and security-wise. Areas Areas uh, B should uh, supposed to be uh, under the civil uh, control of the Palestinian Authority and security control of the Israeli army. Uh, and Area C, which is the majority, the main uh, parts of the West Bank, are under full Israeli control, both uh, in civilian terms and in security terms. Uh, but... As I said, this is being the, the, the uh, only the part of the agreement that refers to the Israeli rights uh, is being respected. We see um, routine uh, invasions of the Israeli army into the main cities, uh, the Palestinian cities of West Bank, which are Area A, and should not be invaded. By Israeli uh, army, but you you can see Israeli forces uh, in Ramallah, in Nablus, in Jenin, uh, on almost on daily basis. And of course, under the international law, the role of the occupier in the entire occupied territory is to protect the native population, which is the Palestinian. Population. So let me just. So, so technically, Israel is required to provide security to civilians in Hawara because no one else is authorized to. That's my understanding. And 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 by the Israeli military kind of stepping aside and, lo- and allowing the settlers to perform their uh, pogroms, you know, it's violating that agreement. Uh, for sure. I mean, one hundred percent. We can even go further and say that the the mere presence of settlers is by itself the violation of international law and is considered to be a war crime to populate an occupied territory with civ- uh, uh, civilians of the occupy uh, occupying uh, force. So the, the the you know it's a crime upon a crime upon a crime. The existence of the, 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 of course, the confiscation uh, of the Palestinian land to allow the the uh, settlers, the settlements to 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 be built on, on that land, is a crime. And then populating it with Israeli civilians is another crime. And then the army, uh, not only not protecting the Palestinian uh, civilians of that area, but actually actively attacking them and actively exposing them to the violence by the settlers. These are all layers of the uh, ongoing war crime and uh, the the crime against humanity, which is apartheid, that Israel is carrying out in the occupied territories. Sounds like Israel has set up uh, this bad cup and a worse cup uh, situation where they can claim the settlers are rogue actors 
when in fact you state that this is not the case. Isn't that so? Uh, definitely. It's very easy for Israeli authorities to pull back when the settlers go uh, too far, even according to Israeli standards, and say, hey, this is too far. We are not like that. We are not a criminal state. Uh, you know, you shouldn't uh, uh, behave like that. But we've seen time and again that the interest and the cooperation between the Israeli army and uh, the settlers is to such level that they are almost already integrated into one organ. We've seen Israeli uh, soldiers standing shoulder to shoulder with settlers shooting at Palestinians together. In the pogrom in Hawara, as you mentioned, there is footage that clearly shows how soldiers just stand indifferently alongside the settlers when they are setting fire to Palestinian houses, possession, etc. Uh, there are reports by several human rights organizations uh, uh, Breaking Silence has published a big report about ex-soldiers giving testimony, testifying to how they actually understood their role as soldiers in the occupied territories as um, uh, ensuring the interests of uh, the settlers to the degree that they actually got orders directly from the settlers themselves. So at this point, it's very difficult to separate between the, between the two. And certainly, uh, in terms of cooperation and interest, uh, it is incredibly difficult to set the two apart. Yes, and uh, actually, uh, after uh, there was a curfew, of course, afterwards uh, against Palestinians uh, in the aftermath of the pogroms, but Israeli settlers were allowed to freely roam the streets, another sign of apartheid. They gave victory honks, uh, chanted death to the Arabs, and other hateful slogans. And, and as you mentioned, it's very obvious that the Israeli government is intentionally inciting and in some cases rewarding settler violence. Oh, definitely. This is another uh, symptom of the Israeli apartheid that uh, Palestinians are being punished uh, for the victims, for, for the crimes uh, that were uh, 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 done to them. The main uh, example for that is, of course, Hebron. Uh, just last week, we marked 29 years to the massacre that was conducted by Baruch Bolstein uh, in the mosque, in the big mosque in the city. What happened after a Jewish settler massacred prayers in the mosque is that the Israeli authorities closed the Shohadastri, the main uh, heart of the Palestinian, of the biggest uh, Palestinian city in the West Bank, Hebron to um, uh, Palestinians, so Palestinians are not allowed even to walk in that street. 
which was once again the main street of the main city in the West Bank. So they were punished after being victimized in that horrifying massacre. And today, settlers in Hebron walk freely in the street of Shorada, while Palestinians are not allowed any movement in that uh, uh, street. And even the uh, annual demonstrations to in the in the demand to open up the the Shohada Street to Palestinian movement are being oppressed, and I was there last week in that demonstration. They are being oppressed uh, brutally by Israeli soldiers. That we we managed to walk less than five minutes before they opened uh, stun grenades and tear gas uh, at us. Yeah, I, I'm very familiar with the Shahada Street. And uh, to add to this, the few families who, who, Palestinian families who are left there to live there, they have to go through a checkpoint every time they go in. And, and, and their water has been cut off and electricity has been cut off. As you state in the title of your article, the Huara pogrom and countless past incidents of settler violence are intentional means to fulfill its law of elimination. Israel has been following this policy since its inception, but describe some of the other ways it is being advanced. Look, the the logic is very clear. Once Israel is defined, self-defined, as a Jewish and democratic state, the meaning is that it needs to uh, artificially engineer the demographic in the area so it can sustain a solid Jewish majority in order to to maintain uh, the facade of democracy. So this is a demographic war uh, from 1948 as far as Israel is concerned. So it began with the Nakba and the mass expulsion of of, uh, Palestinians uh, during uh, the Nakba. And it's an ongoing Nakba until today. When you look at places, both, by the way, inside the Green Line and outside the Green Line. Inside the Green Line, we can speak about examples like El Arakib, the the village of El Arakib, which was demolished more than 200 times already. We can speak about uh, the village of Um Umal-Khiram in the Negev, which was demolished strictly in order to establish a Jewish town on its ruins. Outside the Green Line, we can speak about what is going on these very days uh, in uh, the area of Musafariyata, for example, in South Hebron Hills, where a vast uh, 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 land, uh, a huge territory, was declared as fire zone solely with the purpose of expelling the Palestinian inhabitants right. and to, uh, to, to now uh, building uh, uh, Jewish uh, settlements. Um, you can speak about Susia in the same area. You can speak about Khan al-Ahmar. And the examples go on and on and on. Uh, so so the, the policy 
is the large policy is is very clear to ethnic cleansing as much land as possible um in order to judaize as much land as possible throughout the land between the river and the sea it's important to be clear that this uh, pogrom and accelerating settler terrorist attacks uh, represent israel's uh, ideology I say this because you see the media presenting it as an anomaly uh, when it's very much the norm. Can you give some examples of comments uh, by Kenet, Knesset uh, MPs, uh, you know, recent comments, uh, Knesset M, uh, MKs, I mean, have made uh, regarding the Huwara pogrom? Oh, definitely. Uh, uh, e- e- you know, the, the political patrons of those settlers that set fire to Hawara are sitting today not only in the Israeli parliament, but are key members, prominent members uh, of the Israeli government. Uh, one of the most prominent uh, uh, ministers, uh, the finance minister, Vitalil Smotovich, uh, clearly said uh, Hawara should be erased from the face of the earth. When he faced the very severe uh, reactions to that horrifying comment, he tried to say that this is not what I meant and I meant something else, etc. But he clearly said those words, Hawara should be erased from the face of the earth. Other Knesset members, and I'm not speaking only about members from uh, uh, Bezalel Smotrich's party or Itamar Blankbeer's party, who are uh, clear declared fascist parties. I'm talking about Knesset members from um, the uh, Likud party, the Prime Minister's uh, party of Likud, who said, um, I do not condemn the the uh, program the the event in uh, Hawara because I understand feelings of revenge and th- that was the day after uh, two settlers uh, were killed so they they didn't just normalize it they almost justified it I mean Smotrich clearly justified it but that was the notion. Among even the more so-called moderate uh, parts of the Israeli right wing, um, so yeah, the, I mean uh, that those uh, those Knesset uh, uh, members clearly normalized that that horrifying crime. In a follow-up article, you talk about an attempt to whitewash this program by Yair or Yaya Fink, a, a Knesset member from the Labour Party. He started a crowdfunding initiative called Our Civilian Reserves to Aid Palestinian Victims of the Pogrom. What's wrong with his initiative? Well, that, that pogrom, cle- uh, pogrom in Hawara clearly shocked many, many Israelis, and people really seeked out a way to, to help. The the uh, deep problem with Yair Fink's uh, initiative is that when he was asked by an extreme settler, by the way, 
How are you planning on distributing that money that you collect? And he collected over a million and a half shekels in less than 48 hours. He very casually replied, well, I have two ex-Shin Bet uh, uh, people, the secret services, the Israeli secret services, and uh, we will distribute to the money to the families that will be cleared by those ex-Shinbet members. And really, he never, not for a moment, thought that there was a, any problem with that method of distributing money to the victims of Hawara. Well, there is a very long list of reasons why this is deeply immoral and, in fact, extremely dangerous. First, we know the involvement of the Shinbet in controlling and monitoring every breath that Palestinians breathe in the occupied territories. We know how they use this information that they gather on Palestinians. They use it for extortion. They use it for uh, making Palestinians into collaborators. They use it to condition the most fundamental rights of the Palestinians in the occupied territory uh, uh, with collaborating with the Israeli uh, security forces. So when uh, when Yair Fink says that the, that, that the distribution of money is conditioned uh, 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 with the uh, clearance that the, he will get from Shimbet people, he exposes the Palestinians who will get that money into uh, being condemned as collaborators with the Israeli uh, secret security services. That can be far more dangerous and harmful than any benefit that can come out of that money. Well, even if they didn't collaborate, just the fact, the, the mere fact you give to some Palestinians money and others you don't give them, they're going to grow suspicious of, of their neighbors. Of course, definitely. Uh, many are aware that uh, uh, this is an uproar among, uh, amongst Israelis about the dismantling of the judicial system. I mean, especially right here in the United States, that's most of the news uh, that's uh, disseminated here talks about, uh, you know, there is uh, these so-called uh, uh, demonstrations for democracy, etc. However, you underscore Israel will be judged on what it does to Palestinians, not to Jews. Uh. Yeah, yes, you know, this new government is uh, uh, generating a lot of fear among very large portions of the Israeli Jewish society. The reason for that is because until now, the unspoken rule was that the Israeli democracy applies only to Jews. And in uh, and while there is another law that applies to Palestinians, and again, both I'm talking about both Palestinians in the occupied territories and to different degrees also to the Israeli Palestinian uh, 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 citizens. Now, what is happening is that the democracy that the Jewish population enjoyed so far is under threat. 
So all of a sudden, people are waking up and saying, oh, there is a danger to the Israeli democracy. And I think that this is exactly the time to remind everybody that Israel never was, never a functioning democracy um, be because the, the logic of Jewish supremacy was all, always um, the organizing logic of it all. Uh, 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 Israel had 19 years of existence before the occupation. 17 years, during 17 years, out of those 19 years, the Israeli-Palestinian citizens were under military law. So we all, we literally never had one law applying to everybody under the Israeli regime. You cannot call that democracy. And this is why now is the exact time to say that what we should be demanding is not just to return back the clock to the time that Jews enjoyed democracy while disregarding uh, the, the uh, oppression that Palestinians are uh, being exposed to. This is the time to say we need to make a decision. Do we want a true democracy or not? And a true democracy, for that matter, will be measured not but by what the how the regime um, addresses the Jewish population, but how it addresses the Palestinian po population under its control. Uh, it reminds me when I uh, well, I was a student, uh, student of political science. Uh, um, I forgot who said that, but someone was describing democracy and said that democracy is not what you give to the majority, but real democracy is what you grant the minority. Uh, last week, we had uh, our guest here was Diana Butu, who's uh, also an Israeli citizen, and she commented on the demonstrations and said there that there were calls uh, to... Um, uh, what we call um, 1948 Palestinians or Palestinians with Israeli citizen, citizenships to join these the demonstrations. But she felt that this was an insult to kind of ask them to join without addressing the real democracy we're talking about where everyone uh, is equal under the law. It's even more than that. It's It's not just that they don't demand for democracy as is understood by any functioning democracy in the world, is the fact that those demonstrations, the mass demonstrations that we see now, are um, being, uh, I mean, the, the, are uh, being led by, uh, the, there is a very clear militaristic tone, to, uh, the, the most Prominent uh, leaders of the of those protests are uh, current or ex army people. You see endless list of uh, ex generals who committed horrible war crimes during most of their adult lives, and now under the pretense of those demonstrations, all of a sudden 
are being legitimized as um, the, the big supporters and protectors of democracy, of the democratic idea. I mean, this is ludicrous to think that Palestinian citizens or any decent person, for that matter, will uh, join under the umbrella of that sort of democracy. Uh, I mean, it has really nothing to do with democracy. You see the sea of Israeli flags. I mean, uh, uh, thousands and tens of thousands of Israeli flags uh, washing the streets when the demonstrations are going on. How can anyone expect Palestinian citizens to march in such a nationalistic, militaristic protest? Um, I, I, it's it's uh, very depressing to say, but really, it has very little to do with true democracy, and it has the 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 aim is really to to reverse the clock back to when Israel was democratic to Jews and Jewish to the Palestinians. That, this is how the Jewish and democratic state always operated. It worked out for well for the Jewish population until it stopped working out well for, them, for us. Well, do you feel that there is maybe a reaction to what's going on, I mean, by, and, and maybe I should isolate this to just the progressive uh, Israeli Jews, the young generation, who are now seeing what's going on. They're seeing, on one hand, uh, the most ex extreme government um, in, in Israel and uh, the pogroms in Hawara. And then these demonstrations, I mean, are they questioning what's going on? Are they, do they realize or, or have they just uh, drunk in the, uh, drank some of that uh, so-called Kool-Aid, the democratic Kool-Aid and, and buried their heads in the sand and pretend nothing is happening in the West Bank. It's all about what's going on in Tel Aviv. Um, there are some in in every demonstration. The demonstrations are happening in every city in Israel, more or less. Uh, so almost in all of them, there is the block against the occupation. It's uh, very small. Uh, I mean, if we are talking about one hundred sixty thousand demonstrators in Tel Aviv, there would be a couple of hundred people in the block against the occupation, but it's there. Um, and the younger generation doesn't really ask those questions, but it's very difficult to name that generation because they have never been exposed to the reality of the occupation of the apartheid. Uh, Jewish kids are being raised to be patriotic in the Zionist way from the day they are born. They're going to schools and they're being, being brainwashed by the Zionist narrative. Uh, then they go to the army because they have to, and they don't even know that they have the option to refuse at that point, very little do, unfortunately. And uh, so so the socialization of the Jewish population into that nationalistic, militaristic narrative starts at a very, very young age, and it's difficult to, to expect... Um, them to all of a sudden open their eyes. We do see now some 
uh, uh, I mean, more and more people and uh, announced that they will refuse uh, to go uh, to the reserve service in the military. So they are doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, I would say. Um, I the question, you know, the interesting question now is that if those uh, reserve uh, uh, forces that declared that they are going to refuse. What will happen? How will they react when uh, Israel, for when we will see uh, another march of uh, uh, freedom marches in in Gaza? Will they then uh, continue to refuse and understand that this is part of the same undemocratic, cruel? and violent uh, system, or as I suspect, will actually once again uh, title it as uh, uh, a security mission and go and and, uh, shoot at Palestinian demonstrators across the fence in Gaza, uh, whether it's snipers or or pilots or... uh, So... I mean, we should continue to do what we're doing to to expose those connections between um, the lack of demo- the lack of democratic funda- fun- foundations uh, that are are you know um, getting to us uh, as well. But but I, I, unfortunately, I must say that those connections are not being done enough by the Jewish society yet. Orly Noy, uh, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. Thank you so much for having me. That's the voice and the face of Orly Noy. She's the editor at 972. She's also on the chair of the executive committee of Bet Salem. Really, this is not a voice you're going to hear much about in the mainstream media here in the United States, Jamal. Exactly, Jess. And... Uh, you know, it's amazing, actually, the other voices that we hear about, but definitely, and of course, uh, uh, I commend her for her work as a journalist, but also she's the executive, uh, she's on the, the chair of the executive board of Beth Salem, and Beth Salem was one of the first uh, human rights organizations to call Israel apartheid, which then followed by, of course, Human Rights Watch and, and uh, uh, Amnesty International and, and others, but they have been documenting uh, the atrocities uh, committed on the ground, whether by the Israeli occupation forces or by the settlers. And certainly the settlers and the conclusion in our discussion uh, with Orly is that the at, at times even the settlers give orders to the Israeli occupation forces to the Israeli you know, military right yeah and 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 most of the time they either step aside or look the other way while they're committing atrocities towards Palestinians so there is that systematic uh, uh, collaboration between right. the colonial settlers and an occupation force to cover for each other in 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 many in many ways or work together to make life hell to Palestinians in in the West Bank. Well, that's exactly right, Jamal, and that's that's why this interview is so important. And when you know we say that this is the voice that is not being heard, 
in the mainstream media, the voices we are hearing about are the, you know, are, are Benjamin Netanyahu, are Smotrich, are Ben Gavir, all of these individuals who are who are moving the apartheid state if further in the direction of apartheid theocracy and thuggery. And we're hearing those voices and we're hearing this big hullabaloo about, you know, uh, Smotrich being denied a visa and things like that. But we're not hearing this particular voice of Israeli citizens. Well, I mean, are, this is something we'll talk about later on when we discuss a little bit about uh, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who exactly. basically went to Israel to meet with Benjamin Netanyahu, who's really shunned by many governments and, and his own people, you know, all these demonstrations. Right. And he goes and meets with him, Jess, and then he says, uh, he, he pledges uh, that the United States will stand behind Israel with our fullest support. He's not going to go meet with Bethlehem. He's not going to go see on the ground what's happening in Hawara. You know, I mean, and it's kind of li- uh, ridiculous. But anyway, we'll talk about this uh, later on. Uh, let's start first uh, just basically by this notorious Bezalel Smotrich, who was convicted in Israel, arrested in, 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 in Israel for having uh, explosives, basically. Right. You know, and basically now, for being a terrorist. Yeah, and now, basically. and now he is. Uh, there is there the Israel's uh, finance minister. So now, and I, I don't put a lot of weight on this story. That the State Department held internal consultations on whether to deny him a visa. You know, because he's supposed to come to the United States. Uh, you know, to to uh, his in he got invited uh, to come to the United States, uh, and now uh, he applied for a visa, and he's asking for a diplomatic visa that would give him entry to the U.S. and very important immunity. Uh, and and now we're hearing these discussions that they may or may not. I mean, here is someone who is convicted in Israel, basically, as you said, as a terrorist. He, he says he wants to wipe out the Palestinian village of Hawara. So I don't know what criteria the State Department works on, but I know threats of terrorism yeah, or acts yeah. of terrorism are not welcome there. So so now he's now in a, a they're putting themselves in a pickle in a way because everyone knows that. And of course, they had to put some pressure on him through Netanyahu to say, and we'll talk about this later on, that he ha- this was a slip of the tongue. My question is, which which tongue? Because he worked with folks. <laughs> Maybe he has a forked tongue, or I don't know. But anyway, uh, the the why 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 does this matter, Jess? Because it would be unprecedented, right? Uh, it's an unprecedented move in in U.S. Israel relationship. I don't think they've done that to any sitting minister or serving minister well well that's right jamal but you know it smells fishy to me still because of instead of just coming out and condemning it and denying the visa which would be a first there's there it smells to me like there's something else to this story jamal which we're going to continue to investigate there's something shady i mean the guy is convicted obviously by, by an apartheid state of committing acts of terrorism, you know, having explosives calling for the destruction, literally the destruction of an entire village and wiping people out 
And should he step foot on U.S. territory under diplomatic immunity, it would be an outrageous and grotesque violation of, you know, any sense of decency where, you know, anyone else who, any other individual who would do that would not only be denied the visa, Jamal, but if they came to the United States or if they were a U.S. citizen, they would be arrested, you know, as an accessory. Uh, to terrorism as an accomplice in some way. But something's fishy about this. It doesn't smell right to me. Does it smell right to you? No, it doesn't. And that's why behind the scenes, uh, supposedly the U.S. Dep uh, Department of State is putting a lot of pressure and sending a lot of messages and hints that uh, to Israeli diplomats, to the uh, U.S., uh, I mean, the Israeli ambassador in Washington, D.C., to Netanyahu, that they would be very, very happy if Smotrich decided to cancel his trip. They're, tra they're trying their best to avoid this diplomatic crisis. And actually, it's an embarrassment. And here we, we uh, lecture people about terrorism. We, exactly. we, we don't grant just average people who commit any kind of crime coming to the United States or, or make death threats and so forth. And, and now this guy is going to come to this country. Now, this is an unconfirmed report, Jess. And this is from actually an Israeli journalist. I, I forgot uh, the name, but who said that there is a high possibility that Smotrich is an American citizen, and nobody's talking about that. And if this wow. is the case, that's true. That's changes. He can everything. travel on his U.S. passport to cause more embarrassment because then right. he doesn't need to come, and then they, they cannot deny him coming back to the country. And it, in a way, it makes sense because Smotrich. You know, he was born, of course, he was born in the occupied, on a, on a settlement in the occupied Syrian Golan Heights, lives in, on a settlement in, in the West Bank now. And uh, his family comes from the Ukraine, from the town of Smotrich, same pronunciation, except the I replaced the I with a Y. And there is a possibility that his family first came, like like we've seen with with many Israeli settlers came and ended up in Israel via the United States. So there is a possibility, just like um, you know, the former prime minister of Israel uh, from basically the San Francisco Bay Area. That's right, Jamal, and uh, that's why this story kind of smells. And I think we need to be following it because this trip to the United States, if he's denied uh, entry into the United States, that's a big story. If he's allowed to come in, it's a big story. Exactly. And so either way, it, it's going to become a big story. And I, I have no confidence in our State Department. No, no, here I, the I have a feeling it's going to be... He's coming. A, no, I have a feeling it's going to be a canceled trip. I, I think because it's going to cause, like, as you said, it's going to co cause, they want to bury the story. And the easiest way to bury the story is like he postponed the trip or canceled the trip. Or, that, that's my, well, well, that's well, my feeling. Yeah, maybe. But let's talk a little bit. I mean, you may be right. I mean, that's just like uh, Netanyahu's had three trips, four trips canceled to UAE. He's, 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 he's supposed to have had four trips to, to celebrate the Abraham Accords. The four trips have been canceled due to scheduling issues. They'll come up with some sort of lame excuse. But I want to say just one thing about the slip of the tongue. I mean, when Smotrich said that it was a slip of the tongue, 
You know, in every slip of the tongue, Jamal, there's truth. That's what a slip of the tongue is. You say something where you say you didn't mean to say it, but it betrays uh, an, a reality of how you really feel about things. So um, whether or not whether or not he meant it or didn't mean it or a slip of the tongue, he meant it. That that's that's what the slip of the tongue. His own admission is that he really meant it. He just didn't say it in the right way. So this guy is a is a criminal. He's a terrorist convicted by an apartheid state. He's a if liar. He's a, he's a liar. And if he comes to this, if he comes here, it'll be grotesque. We'll see. We'll see. Well, here is another slip of the tongue. Actually, another slip of the tongue. But basically, so you remember Jonathan Pollard? A big, big, big. <laughs> Uh, spy Jamal, like he's the traitor. thing about his because his, his Americans, Jewish American traitor, uh, turned uh, to an Israeli citizen or an Israeli spy, and he said, Now, Huara must be destroyed. This is what his, his own words, and then he goes on to add, The destruction of Huara will mark the beginning of our reconquest of our land. And here is a, an American. Former Americans. Former traitor. He, he's there. He's a settler. You know, if, if people who don't remember that, but basically Pollard uh, caused major, major security. No, Jamal, it's, it's even worse than that. Every single person in the intelligence community of the United States has said he caused more damage than any other spy in the history not only of- not only he gave like us uh, very well guarded secrets Jess, but he also gave the names or or outed the names of uh, um, I covert guess, covert, co- covert uh, operatives yeah. and and uh, collaborators so he risked the lives of many anyway uh, he as he said uh, he was convicted to, to life, and then they kept after it, APAC and their surrogates and Netanyahu, president after president, starting from Clinton onward. That's right. Lobbying for his release until Trump finally released him and allowed him to travel. Uh, you know, first he had to stay in the country wearing a bracelet in, on, on his ankle, and then now he's a, an Israeli citizen, very well celebrated, met at the airport just by, by Netanyahu himself, right, right. celebrated as, as a hero, and now he's going there calling for the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. But So I have a question for you, Jamal. Did the State Department say anything about uh, Jonathan Pollard's statement? No, because they should be ashamed. Beyond ashamed, Jamal. For releasing him. And I, I had to say it, but in 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 other circumstances, not only he would not have been released, but a lot of spies gets get executed for their for their treason. That you know, I, I guess we don't have the death sentence for for his crimes. Or but uh, but everybody in the intelligence community, Jamal, felt like he should have been locked up for the rest of his life and and not seen the light of day. And this release. Uh, was an affront, was an attack on everybody who uh, works in the intelligence services for the United States. This is, 
I mean, it's grotesqueness on grotesqueness that he was released. And then he has the audacity to speak in such a way, calling for the wiping out and the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. And then no accountability whatsoever. I mean, that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about Smotrich, when we're talking about Netanyahu, we're talking about Ben Gavir, Jonathan Pollard. And I dare say it's even related to the next item that we're going to talk about. No accountability for someone like Chuck Schumer, who's supposed to head the Democratic Party, the so-called more liberal progressive parts of the U.S. government, and celebrating two leaders who are thugs. And, uh, you know, one has is facing multiple felony accounts and is being condemned by the EU and condemned worldwide. So what what's happening right now when when you have the entire Western world condemning or confronting or or kind of exhorting the apartheid state to slow down on these judicial uh, changes that they want to make. And then you have Chuck Schumer, you know, giving uh, making kissy face with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. What's up? Well, it's not even Benjamin Netanyahu. He made a trip from Israel to India. Look at the timing. Just look at the timing. So so he leads he or he led a congressional delegation last week, Senate majority, of course, leader Chuck Schumer. And I look at this picture. He was photographed grinning arm in arm with uh, uh, with Benjamin Netanyahu. And then, as I said earlier, he pledged that the United States will stand behind Israel with our fullest support. Then he flew to India, visited with Indian Prime Minister uh, Modi on the same trip. This is the same trip. Look at the same trip. And then he again, shown arm in arm, and 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 redoubled his commitment to fostering strong ties there, calling India, and I'm quoting precisely the kind of partner that the United States needs. A partner, Jess. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, not to mention, you know, this is this is Modi, uh, India, which basically uh, last year his government ordered raids on BBC's offices in the country, just like over a documentary highlighting his role, instigating and enabling a 2002 pogrom against Muslims that claimed 1,000 lives in the state of uh, Gujarat, where he served as a chief minister. And and a and, and, and few hours earlier, he was meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu when you have another program happening in Huwara. That's exactly right, Jamal. So we have the Senate Democratic Majority Leader Schumer, supposing allegedly representing more liberal policies of this government, walking hand in hand and doing kissy face with two basically Islamophobes, uh, two racists, two two really thuggish two of the biggest thuggish leaders, you know, on the planet right now. And, you know, many people say Modi, for example, not only has he been attacking, uh, I mean, it's called the Muslim minority in India, even though, I mean, it's the largest Muslim uh, majority, it's the, has the largest number of Muslims in the world, uh, you know, anywhere of any country, actually, it's got an enormous number of Muslim uh, Indians. I mean, it's extraordinary, who's really been cracking down on uh, like the equal rights of Muslim Indians for since he's been in office. And as you said, for that pogrom, he, he kind of participated or let happen in Gujarat. It's 
I'm not sure what to say about this, Jamal, but what it says about U.S. politics right now that you would have Chuck Schumer embracing, literally embracing Modi and Netanyahu, it's not looking good right now for justice, for democracy. It's not looking very good for the rule of law. It's not looking very good for the United States to lecture the rest of the world, to lecture Putin and to lecture everybody else about democracy and doing the right thing. doesn't look good. Well, I mean, you're talking about the optics. Uh, I mean, the motives are one thing, which uh, which it, which really does not represent uh, the Democratic Party in general. I think I think this is not this is not the road that the Democratic Party want to no. take. No. And then at the same time, even if that's that's the way or that's the road that they want to lead, the optics are so stupid. I am I question the the uh, you know who who actually arranged this meeting at this and 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 the timing of it to go to Israel and pledge support when Hawara was burning and right. to go visit India and and stand tall with Modi supporting India when we know his record on human rights. Well, we we won't have time to go into it today, Jamal, but uh, we should talk about the the delegation that went with Schumer and all the elected officials that kind of went on this junket, the APEC uh, junket to to visit. And um, it's... uh, It's embarrassing. It's beyond embarrassing. I mean, and again, we were looking at the United States lecturing the rest of the world on justice and democracy and doing the right thing. And then you have, you know, supporting these two thugs who uh, who are wreaking havoc on the world right now. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, ArabTalkRadio.com to download the latest shows. And we will talk to you next week. See you next week.